Hey guys, it's Katie and Mandy. Welcome to the Dirty Britches Minisode. Hi everyone. Welcome. Hi. It's a minisode of our Dirty, dirty Laundry. It's been forever, we it feels one. like. Forever. Yeah, exactly. I can't yeah. even remember what we did. In Our last one was last when time. Bell Hooks passed away. Oh, that's right. And then right. we hadn't done one before that forever, too. And I don't know what it was then. So, yeah. yeah well, it's been are. a long, long time. And here we are. We're going to address the super, super important issue of the <laughs> NFL halftime. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody how, why, we're even, why we're doing this mini-sode? <laughs> I mean, clearly we're doing it because we are Gen Xers who loved <laughs> the halftime lineup. <laughs> the halftime was created for people in our age group, although there was like a little fight online about if it was for millennials or Gen Xers, because I guess NBC yeah. put some tweet out about it being for millennials and all the Gen Xers were like, what the fuck? Millennials were in diapers when these songs came out. Don't try to steal this from us. <laughs> well, so, uh, most of the songs, I I actually, I love Kendrick Lamar's music. I mean, just, it's amazing. But I will say, okay, I we were texting right after the Super Bowl with some friends. And I I watched it. We had a dance party at my house with my kids. Like, I it was fine. I enjoyed it. And those, those are the songs that make me feel like I'm 16 again. You know, like, I really do love that music. And I so I'm not like a curmudgeonly clutch my pearls. I was just like, oh, you know, I liked other Super Bowl halftime shows better. And Mandy was pissed. At me. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna ignore that you said that if you still want to be friends. <laughs> yeah, you had some choice words in the text, and then I had to go back and rewatch like Beyonce when she premiered formation she was she has done a super bowl halftime show but she did that when she was guesting on Coldplay's super bowl halftime show and that is to me just like epic but the best show ever is prince there's just no doubt i watched it again and it was like yeah i mean okay Lord. if we're talking about like show production stuff there may be things that are up there too but i just and it's not that i don't like beyonce's music and i can like sing along to some prince songs but i'm not super fans oh of either God. of those people at all this, so it, i don't give a fuck you will never magical. get above eminem and snoop dog for Stop me it. ever Ever. Singing I love Purple them. Rain. No, the oh, rain. Jesus, what are like, you? Sixty years old? No, no. <laughs> it was it was incredible. And I do think I need some pyrotechnics. I did recognize that about myself. Like I want a stadium with the lights <laughs> off and like everyone's holding their lit phones up and like that I love that kind of magic. So it was good. It was good. Yeah. yeah I yeah. just didn't feel like moved. It's over the top. Know. Did you yeah, know that most of the nostalgic. time, like, the artists end up paying for the halftime shows? I read shows? that. I couldn't believe that. I mean, I guess it's, like, a huge platform. But, yeah, I thought that's bananas. Isn't the NFL also yeah. technically? No. They're not nonprofit. Are they nonprofit? They can't be. <laughs> no. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up and I'll <laughs> report back to you last time. No, there's some – I don't know why I'm thinking this, but there's some, like, giant sports league that's nonprofit. I'm going to look into it. Okay. okay. But okay. more importantly – I felt bad because Mandy was shaming me, like being <laughs> mildly entertained by this show. And then I, st I started feeling like, oh, 
God, am I part of this long tradition of white women, you know, I did, here's what I will say. I wasn't like, oh, goodness, they've got lyrics and he's smoking yeah, yeah. a doobie. It wasn't about you that. Know? It just wasn't no. exciting enough for you. Yeah, I was just like, oh, yeah, I, le- I really like these songs. I just, whatever, you know. Um, right, right. Okay, but there are, there is a history of white women getting involved with music and lyrics, specifically rap, also rock. And I knew a little tiny bit about this history. I knew enough to Google it. And okay. you will see what's my name today in Squadcast. Yep, um, Tipper. She's got the Tipper. I've got the tip nickname. of the here. And so I felt bad, like, oh, my God, am I being Tipper Gore in this situation? And no, I'm not. <laughs> but I did want to just give us, like, a little bit of history for this. Um, and, of course, there were, you know, pundits coming out clutching their collective yeah. pearls and you mm-hmm. know whatever and it's just part of this really really long history so in a nutshell this is a mini so i'm going to keep this real tight but there was um a 1999 article in popular music journal by claude chastainer about the parents music resource center which is what i'm going to talk to you about today and this goes way way back so this article actually looks at how when jazz became popular when blues came in it was like for decades and decades and decades black music in particular white people labeled it as the devil's music or Mm -hmm. jungle music and that it was too sexual that count basie's music was described as an orgy and you know just like all of this like jazz Mm -hmm. blues music now that's seen as like, oh, high status if you like jazz. But, you know, when right. it came out, white people were freaking the fuck out. So, yeah, when and white people when, racisting as white people do, as they do. <laughs> and that that especially when there were crossover attempts, like when black music became popular among white people, that's when white people really start to get nervous and pissed off. And then when there were like integrated crowds listening to music and gasp dancing together like Mm. it just it caused white people who did not want that to panic because it felt like it was upending the social order it um during the 1950s there's the red scare and so then there's a sense that like this music is communist i mean none of this will (laughs) surprise you um that you know and youth at that time like youth culture becomes a big thing, like being a teenager, especially among white families where the suburbs, which are totally part of white flight and the racist GI bill setting up white families um, with super low interest loans and like the explosion of the suburbs and having, again, this actually connects with white feminism so well, like this, like women are staying home as wives and mothers in these middle-class white families. And they we're protecting kids' childhoods. And there's this new thing called adolescence and you know that all nested within cold war fears and the civil rights movement and so basically there's this like all of that gets tied together into this panic um about r&b rock and roll so it's jazz blues then it's r&b then it's rock and roll Mm -hmm. um and there are these um state authorities that get set up to try to um tell radio stations which records should be banned and of course almost all the records are by black artists a lot of the radio stations cooperate um this this was happening all over the place in 1956 the north alabama white citizens council declared that rock and roll appealed to the quote basin man brought out animalism and vulgarity and was part of a plot by the NAACP to mongrelize america um, 
so this also happens in the 60s, even in the 70s, like every decade has an iteration of this. And then there were also um, some black leaders who participated in pushes to um, push against like sexual lyrics. Um, Jesse Jackson was involved in some of these efforts, um, especially around like sex. Set, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure yeah. um yeah, yeah. so anyway had and felt white feminist organizations helped out with some of that so mm-hmm. we're into the early nice. 80s i know the national parent teacher association which already i'm like no <laughs> because that's gonna be a lot of like white, white moms women. with a lot of time on their hands um <laughs> had five plus million members and they were in um not happy about a Prince song. So this is where my beloved Prince comes in <laughs> from Let's Pretend We're Married. And the lyrics are, I sincerely want to fuck the taste out of your mouth. Um, so the moms were like, no. And then um, it, I will say like all of this gets complicated because some of these lyrics that the women end up protesting are like horrifically violent, misogynistic against women, like really scary kinds of right. lyrics. Some of yeah. it is laughable, like, oh my God, just like calm down. Some of it I actually understand, like, yeah, that's really horrible. Or like super racist lyrics among white rock and roll groups. Like it just it's a very interesting stew that a lot of things that actually don't have anything to do together get lumped together. Um right. so Susan Baker, who is the wife of Secretary of the Treasury for Reagan, James Baker, mm. is part of this um Washington Wives group. And she's um, listening. She gets this PTA like newsletter that's telling the members like, watch out, Prince is here. And so she starts <laughs> listening to all these songs. So she's listening super carefully to like Eat Me Alive by Judas Priest, Sugar Walls by Sheeny Easton, Prince's Darling Nikki. I just picture this lady. I could just, like, yeah, I was going to say picture her sitting there listening to these. Say like, what again? You want to fuck strokes? the what? <laughs> right, or but also like titillated, like you want to yeah. fuck the what out of my mouth? Let me rewind that part, or like move the record back. You know, it's just so like all of these things require you to actually spend a lot of time with them. So if they're so horrible, why are you listening to them over and over again? Anyway, so she's <laughs> friends with all these fancy Washington wives ladies. That includes Tipper Gore, who Al Gore was her then husband. I think they're just separate. I don't know if they ever got divorced, but they were married and he was senator of Tennessee. Um, They all get together. And even though she's Republican, Tipper Gore's Democrat, they come together as like moms and they decide to create an organization to inform parents about the pornographic content of these rock records. And that is how the Parents Music Resource Center started. Um, Common bond is uptight white ladies protecting our kids who can't right i know oh god um it's funded by mike love of the beach boys joseph coors of coors beers and both of them had um actively supported reagan they're also supported by like pat robertson 700 club the religious booksellers convention you know (laughs) supporters that you see that just make you go hmm Hmm. okay things that make you go where this is coming "Hmm, from (laughs) right um and so they they really say we're not censoring and some of their arguments are interesting they say look pornography sold to children is illegal that's enforcing that law isn't censorship it's simply the act of a responsible society that recognizes that some material made available to adults is not appropriate for children that's from susan baker um they also made a lot of which you know yeah, sure. I get that. I'm okay. whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but they also had all these connections like 
this music leads to rape increases. This music leads to suicide increases, or this music leads to teen pregnancies, you know, where there's never really been any empirical Don't evidence to show Don't forget about your Sunday morning sermons against homosexuality that have led to suicide increases for decades. Well, but guys, it's the music lyrics. Yes. I think right. it's the hypocrisy that gets me in all of this, but we can mm-hmm. get back to that. But yeah, oh, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Like, oh, really? You care about rape? Like, all right. Well, then let's look at the fact that like white men have engaged in like pretty horrific rape for generations of black women that they enslaved like there's just a lot like you said hypocrisy so um and this they're tapping into these obscenity laws that we actually mentioned before when we were talking about Mm. reproductive rights the comstock Mm -hmm. laws um which we should actually do a whole minisode on the comstock laws because they do show up in so many places um in 1957 there are a couple court cases i'll mention roth versus united states obscenity gets defined as speech about sex that is utterly without redeeming social importance. So not super helpful definition. And then in 1973, there's a case, Miller versus California, that modifies that definition of obscenity. And now it says it's utter, it's any speech that's utterly without redeeming social importance, um, with lacking seriously literary, artistic, political, political, or scientific value. Which, of course, is like, well, value according to who? And then contemporary community standards will be used to decide whether a given text is patently offensive or appealed to prurient interest in sex. Um, Yeah. And what contemporary community standards like based on standards? Yeah. And and that means that material can be illegal in one community and not in another. Like, it's all just Mm -hmm. as like there is no good definition of this. Like, oh, pornography, you know it when you see it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So Tipper Gore is a member of the PMRC. She had actually trained to be a child psychologist. Um, And then when Al Gore gets elected to national office the first time in the seventies, she kind of leaves that behind and becomes a congressional wife. There's a congressional wives task force, which I don't know how I feel about that. And then, um, She's I mean, it all just it strikes me as like a like total structure of where white women have gotten most of their powers, their proximity to powerful men, which is why they have for so long supported white supremacy and patriarchy. Because it also seems super nepotistic. Like, why yeah. by by just by the nature of you being married to someone qualifies yeah. you to be a leader in anything? It's just I mean, weird. that seems it seems part of the plan, really. To yeah, me. I guess. Well, <laughs> she's very, you know, she's got this interest in child psychology. She's really interested in the effects of media violence on children. And then she her daughter, when she's 11, bought Princess Purple Rain because she liked the song Let's Go Crazy, which is like one of the best songs ever. So I don't <laughs> disagree. Karenna Gore. Correct. Um, but they're like the mom tipper is listening to the album with her daughter. And then Darling Nikki comes on and it has a lyric about a woman masturbating in a hotel lobby with a magazine. And mm. like, she's just like, what? So I'm like, okay, <laughs> then just say, we're not going to listen to this. If you don't like it, fine. Just say like, you're not going to listen to that again until you're older or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know why you have to be like, Washington wives, assemble, come, <laughs> we must take them down. So anyway, they, so she, Tipper's, Tipper Gore is mad because the store won't take it back because they opened the album and she's upset because she starts listening to these lyrics and they're they're all about like violence against women and killing police officers. I'm like, well, also those are not the same. They're like all of these issues that they're like, and this is bad, and this is bad. 
have like super, super different histories and contexts and Right. And how about just like use it as a way to talk to your kid about all of those historical issues? I mean, that's one way to get your kid to stop listening to it. You could be like, hey, let's (laughs) sit down and listen to this together and then talk about sex and history. And then be like, oh, God, burn the album. (laughs) It's so true. Like, you know what's going to make your kid want to listen to it more? Making it, like, illegal to listen to, you know? Don't be like, yes, I... You're right. Like, let's honey, let's talk about masturbation. Is there a time when you would masturbate in a lobby with a magazine? I I remember one time when I was in a hotel, I just couldn't find a magazine. So otherwise, I would have. Um, Well, okay. So Tiffer reads. uh, She writes this book, raising PG kids in an X-rated society. Which, by the way, even moving movie ratings is like a whole other thing we should look into. It comes Mm -hmm. out in 1987. She. um, She says, like many parents of my generation, I grew up listening to rock music and loving it, watching television and being entertained by it, which I was like, (laughs) so you're a human being? Great. (laughs) I still enjoy both. But something has happened since the days of Twist and Shout and I Love Lucy, which again, knowing the history of rock and roll, like the history of all these things is not that everybody loved Twist and Shout when it came. Like, no, it was heavily policed and like they people tried to ban it and people said it was leading to the mongrelization oh, yeah. of the nation you know so i mean like elvis presley's like hip gyration stuff was like a huge issue among pearl yes, cultures and, and of course like he's this crossover artist that is bringing black music to white people it's just yeah. all like it's so ahistorical it's infuriating. So she says, yep. the dilemma for society is how to preserve personal and family values in a nation of diverse taste. Tension exists in any free society, but the freedom we enjoy rests on a foundation of individual liberty and shared moral values, even as the shifting structure of the family and other social changes disrupt old patterns. We must reassert our values through individual and community action. People of all political persuasions, conservatives, moderates, and liberals alike need to dedicate themselves once again to preserving the moral foundation of our society. I'm puking in my mouth because anytime I hear someone say the shifting structure of the family and social changes Mm -hmm. disrupting old patterns, I want to tear out my hair because fuck you. That's only changing for your very narrow demographic it has and for a been definition of the family that was like people. created like in the 40s and 50s is not how <sighs> families have always been structured yeah it's just bullshit it's all bullshit if you're educated and understand the history of it but, like what you, you just know. said is such a race class gendered cultured thing like it's not yeah. your your idea of this nuclear family is is like put that into cultural context put that into historical context put that into Mm -hmm. anything and like Mm -hmm. oh now oh my god just makes me so mad okay so she says censorship is not the answer in the long run our only hope is for more information and awareness so that citizens and communities can fight back against market exploitation and find practical means for restoring individual choice and control so she many many times in many places said she's definitely not pro-censorship she just wants parents to like she wants some way of alerting parents to these lyrics i'm like great uh, they can do that on their own. I don't like if parents aren't yeah. listening to what their kids are listening to, they either don't give a fuck or they're not being very involved parents. Either way, right. why are not you getting involved? Our problem. Yeah. So there's going to there there are actually hearings like Frank Zappa goes to these hearings and just goes off. Um, and there's uh, so the uh, what's the acronym? The RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, actually then kind of makes a behind the scenes deal. And there's 
um, suspicion that it was that they were basically like, okay, we will voluntarily put labels on music if you vote to pass this tax on blank cassette tapes that would generate like hundreds of millions of dollars oh, for their geez. industry. Of course. So that's what happens. And Frank of Zappa course. actually called it out and he's like, yeah. Um, and P.S. like all these Washington wives are married to the people that are voting on this other thing and like collusion, you know, he's yeah. pissed. So um, they agree that this, the parental advisory stickers, which I'm sure you've seen on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. albums and CD covers, whatever people buy for music now, um, that's what gets started. Parental advisory, explicit lyrics, and that could refer to sexual activity, deviant practices such as incest and rape, which, yes, I would actually agree are like horrible. And then mm-hmm. um, material that describes or encourages suicide, murder, illegal drug use or alcohol abuse. Um but the companies would get to decide themselves. And then um, some of the artists immediately started just having like a different version of the albums that had yeah, clean, clean versions. lyrics, mm-hmm. which P.S. I've actually been thinking about this a lot. We listen to Kids Pop with our kids and they change the lyrics mm-hmm. of the songs. Mm-hmm. And I am fascinated by what lyrics they decide to change two songs that like the entire point of the song is actually like a sexual point of the song, (laughs) but they, it like the, the, they can't change the subtext, right? Like the, so they just change these words. And then I'm always curious, why did they change that word and not this word? Or why did they still pick like this song by this artist? If I don't know, I'm just fascinated by it. Um, anyway, so the, the artist most affected, um, oh, so so the companies start doing it. Some artists are doing cleaned up versions of the songs. JC Penny, Walmart, Kmart, Disc Jockey decide that they're not going to sell labeled versions even. And so the only way all those companies music- that are so big and popular <laughs> still right now. Mm, jokes on you guys. <laughs> Look what it's happens. So true. <laughs> it's so true. Oh my God. Well, here's here's one that is still big. Walmart um mm. also has it is like curtailing what they decide to sell and that the the group of artists most impacted by this were rap artists. Of and course. so um they actually what would happen is the record companies just would mute parts of the songs. And mm-hmm. so people would just hear muted blank. yeah like blank songs. Um and of course like you know sociologists have pointed out well this is when rap music like 70% of the consumers of rap music were white kids and so that's mm-hmm. why it's causing this moral panic among white parents because mm-hmm. they don't want their kids to listen to this music. Um so even though Tipper Gore keeps saying like no 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 I don't want to censor I don't want to censor um that's basically what ends what up happened. happening. Um and there's a lot of rock um, people, rock groups that are involved in this. And then there's also a lot of rap groups, like I said. Um, Brett Koshkin wrote an article about this for The Village Voice about the Ghetto Boys, this Southern rap group that actually, because of this, like kind of launched them into fame because whenever there's this like white lady panic, then of course the news media covers this group more, mm-hmm. which then just leads to more people Buying their um, stuff and buying their knowing music. Them like they, and, mm-hmm. Right. They had this song, Mind of a Lunatic, and two teenagers were charged with killing someone in 1990, and their lawyer claimed they were temporarily hypnotized by the oh, Ghetto Jesus Boys song. Christ. Yes. And that it had turned them into murderous zombies. Yeah, I'm sure they were just 
fine and pleasant young men before that. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> and of course, like in the 80s, this is also happening. Like Reagan is um, attacking the National Endowment for the Arts. There's a lot of like book burnings and book bans, similar mm. to some of the efforts right mm-hmm. now, um, and a lot of censorship. So um, there were people that tried to push back like... Um, Frank Zappa put a label on his albums that said people listening to the music, it would not cause them to end up with the guy with the horns and pointed tail. And then other people like started writing songs about Tipper Gore that are pretty intense. (laughs) Um, So anyway, and and truly some of these lyrics are like about murdering women and, you know, just really awful. But again, to your point, like, I'm not sure this does any, like this effort, to stop it. Plus that's just like symptom of misogyny. That isn't the misogyny, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it isn't, it's both, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, the ultimately this labeling system, you could live, you could argue was just not particularly effective. Like it had a chilling effect. It, it, it caused some artists to re, you know, write their songs in different ways or whatever. But basically it, um, their kids could still buy it and mm-hmm. still listen to rap and hip hop and rock. So it wasn't like it stopped them from doing that um, for sure. And then of course, like the internet gets invented and then people just get their music that way. So it like, doesn't right. really matter, <laughs> but I do, I'll wrap up this. Um, Tipper Gore in 1990 wrote this um, op-ed for the Washington post called from um, or called hate rape and rap. And she's talking about, this is why I'm frustrated because she's talking about this Guns N' Roses song that has racist lyrics in it. And then she's linking it to these other things. And it's where I just feel like, well, these are all different. And she mentions Ice-T and she's saying like, there aren't enough positive black male role models for young children. And so Ice-T and his message is so damaging. And Ice-T is quoted as saying, I grew up in the streets. I'm no Bryant Gumbel. And like (laughs) he's writing about his own Experience life like and, he's writing yeah. about his experience and like if white ladies don't like that tough shit you know mm-hmm. and tipper gore says um it is not the messenger that is so frightening it is the perpetuation almost glorification of the cruel and violent reality of his quote streets children must be taught to hate they are not born with ideas of bigotry they learn from what they see in the world around them which i agree with if their reality consists of a street ethic that promotes and glorifies violence against women or discrimination against minorities not only in everyday life but in their entertainment then ideas of bigotry and violence will flourish we must raise our voices in protest and put pressure on those who not only reflect this hatred but also package polish promote market it those who would make words like the n-word which she actually writes out in full acceptable mm-hmm. let's place a higher value on our children than on our profits and embark on a remedial civil rights course for children who are being taught to hate and a remedial nonviolence course for children who are being taught to destroy let's send the message loud and clear through our homes our streets and our schools as well as our art and our culture again it's like I don't, there are elements of her argument I don't disagree with, like representation in media really matters. We know that, but I'm through a white lady lens of like what is and isn't empowering or what is and isn't affirming and validating for people to listen to is hard for me to swallow. That being said, it's, you know, obviously communities of color are not monolithic and there were absolutely, um, especially some black leaders that have been still are like opposed to rap opposed to hip hop. Um, Carol Mosley Braun and Dolores C. Dolores Tucker, part of the national political Congress of black women pushed against it. But Maxine waters has opposed them and her district includes South central LA to circle Mm -hmm. all the way back. Mm -hmm. Um, So that there, there is this like 
tension even within communities about like what this should be. But it's like not something Tipper Gore needs to get involved in or have like a way better, deeper historical understanding of this music, where it comes from, of traditions of of trying to ban it, you know. And it just strikes me as a whole other like blame the victim, blame the ROM party kind of thing. I mean, it goes back to... um, Oh, what was that report by the Democratic senator on black families that we talked about? The His name started with an M. Oh, Moyne, Moynihan. The Moynihan the, report yeah, where he talked about part. like the how, you know, African-American and black families were like falling apart. And it's like it, blaming the total wrong background for all of that. And why is that happening? And it's not like a product of what black people have chosen themselves. It's what white people have done to black people for decades and decades. And it's, this is the same sort of thing. Like let's rail against these artists when we're just ignoring the underlying issues and also right. Like the context of it and who gets to decide what is okay and what's not okay is all just steeped in whiteness and white supremacy and all of that kind of garbage. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. Still going on. Steeped in whiteness, still going on. I want to shout out um, the Amazon. The Amazon Prime for the rest of February is making available the masterclass on Black history. Um, that's usually just available under the Masterclass app that you have to have a paid subscription to. Of course, you also have to have a paid subscription to Amazon Prime, and that's the whole thing. Um, but if you do happen to have it, I would strongly suggest that everyone listen to the Black History Masterclass episodes on Amazon Prime this month because they are really fascinating. And I was just listening to one section where they are talking about um, Black language and the idea of Ebonics, and they play a bunch of clips of like these Senate hearings specifically talking about Ebonics in the mm. 80s and 90s, and it's horrifying. And there is a really, really deep and nuanced history about Black mm. language that I think is very important to learn about um, mm. that also just ties into all of this as well, like where this comes from and why it is so much deeper than just like clutching our pearls and saying, oh my gosh, that's so and awful. And I don't know where, where this impulse comes from to be like, I don't like it. I don't get it. It's stupid. Or like, I don't yeah. like it. I don't get it. It's dangerous and filthy and bad. Instead of saying like, I don't get it, not understanding something. So then like wanting to attack it instead of saying mm-hmm. like, huh, I don't get it. I wonder what I must be missing because so it clearly means so much to so many people. Let me learn more about it. I still might not like it, but it clearly resonates with a lot of people who have experiences really different than mine. I wonder what I might be missing. Like having, if that were just a question, white women, if we could ask ourselves, like, I wonder what I'm missing before we like, like slam down our rosé bottle on the table and like, you know, (laughs) thrust it at somebody. Form another wives group. Yeah. Okay. The (laughs) last thing I wanted to shout out is this podcast called Bottom of the Map that I have really, really enjoyed. It's from music journalist Christina Lee and hip hop scholar Dr. Regina N. Bradley. They have what they say, passionate explorations and paradigm shifting critiques of the culture that they love and its undeniable impact on the world that clearly loves it. They make Bottom of the Map for all the ratchet intellectuals of the world. Um, And it's all about Southern hip hop's connections to self-care, civil rights, marching bands, faith, feminism, business, fatherhood, strip club culture, and so much more. Mm. Um, Bottom of the map from BOTM Media and PRX. Um, 
it's really, really good. So cool. if people are interested in hip hop, like I love the music, but don't know, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a hip hop head by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. I just, you know, like to jam out to it, but there is, it is an incredibly rich, amazing history. And that's just a particularly good podcast to listen to if you want to know more about it. So okay. check it awesome. out. All right. Well, we got to wrap this mini set up. There's so many more tangents we could go on. So many more. Have these conversations with your friends. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. And we will talk to you again. Ask yourself, what am I missing? There's probably something I don't know. Shocking. Okay. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later. Okay. bye. Bye.